Our scripture lesson comes from Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. In the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their walls of stone. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from the sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its sight, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. And also our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officer posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, The work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, Have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I, nor my brothers, nor men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. This is God's word. Last summer, I was accused of being a false teacher. Uh, My wife and I went on this road trip to Colorado. It was a couple weeks before I came to Holy Trinity. We went on a vacation. And while I was there, I was a guest preacher at a small church there. There was maybe 60 people came. And I led the worship service, I gave the sermon, and after the worship service, 
So many people just gushed over me. They were said, thank you so much for coming here. We don't get guest preachers off, often. That sounded so great. Thank you for coming to us. And then one really tall man, one, he was a really big guy, he came up to me, towered over me, put his hand, and he shook my hand really hard and said, don't ever say that thing again. And then he walked out the door. I'm not going to tell you what that thing was, but I assure you it was a very small point of theology. And I looked into it, and I asked some other people about it, and what I said was fine. There wasn't anything false about it. So I had 59 people say great things about me, and I had one person criticize me. What comment do you think I focused on the rest of the day? What comment do you think still stuck around in my mind to this day? Well, it was the criticism, right? Isn't it crazy how we do that? How we have so many people in our lives who love and support us and encourage us. But then you have one person say one dumb thing, one critical thing to you, and it just ruins your whole day. I still remember the tall man who shook my hand really hard. Who is it in your life? Who is it in your life that you're still thinking about? What word, what comment do you still think about in this life to this day? Maybe it happened after something small, like you got a haircut. And you went just a little bit more edgy than you normally do. And for the most part, everyone said, hey, that looks great, great haircut. But one person comes up to you and said, you know, I just think you look better with bangs. How do you feel? How do you react to that? Or maybe it happened at a project at work. You worked really hard for months, and in your mind, everything went well. Your boss complimented you. Other people said you worked really hard. But then you just had that one coworker that said, you know, I think I would have done things a little bit differently. How do you react? How do you react when you put up a picture of your family on social media, and you're all smiling, and, you know, you get 75 likes, and so many people say, wow, you guys look great. And then one person offers some unwanted parenting advice, and they say, you know what, I just don't think I would feed my children those chicken nuggets with all those trans fats. How do you react? How do you react when you have one person say something critical to you, even though you have hundreds of other people loving you and supporting you? Um, Aristotle, um, the poet, he came up with a way how to avoid criticism. He said, criticism is something we can easily avoid. By saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. So if you want to avoid criticism, just stop talking. If you want to avoid criticism, stop doing things. If you want to avoid criticism, stop being alive. Because as long as you're alive, as long as you do something, as long as you sing a song, as long as you preach a sermon, as long as you do a project, there's going to be someone out there to criticize you for what you did or said. And if I can learn anything from the great, uh, another great poet named Snoop Dogg, um, he once said, haters go hate. And it's true. There are people out there that are going to hate you for the things that you do. So if we can learn anything from Aristotle, if we can learn anything from Snoop Dogg, how do we handle criticism? How do we handle the criticism that comes in our lives? I need to make it clear that this sermon is about you receiving criticism for doing the right thing. If you're living a sinful lifestyle and you're doing a behavior that needs to be corrected, you should probably listen to the critics. You should listen to them for when you need to change your life. 
But how do you react? How do you handle criticism when you're doing a right, God-pleasing thing and there are still negative people out there? How do we handle that criticism? Because it's going to happen. Well, that leads us to the book of Nehemiah. And if you're newer with us or if you think to yourself, you know what, I have no idea what Nehemiah is, that's okay. It's not a very common book of the Bible. But at its most simple level, it's a story about Nehemiah, a leader who is in charge of a building project. And his job is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And in the last couple of weeks, we heard how he gathered the supplies and how he asked the king for help and then he, how he traveled to Jerusalem. And now he started rebuilding the walls. He, just, he got a group of Jewish people together and they're going to rebuild these walls for the Lord. And as soon as they did this, they experienced opposition by these two guys, Sanballat and Tobiah. Uh, they were governors in the area around there, and they were probably jealous of the fact that you had this new leader coming to town and working as well. Uh, even though they were governors, they basically acted like high school bullies. High school bullies. Uh, Sanballat started off by saying, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? trying to question their motives, trying to get them to doubt their project that they're doing. And then Tobiah offers this really sick burn. He says, even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall. Ha, 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 ha. Look at their feeble wall. If a little fox could knock the whole thing over. So like I said, typical high school bullies. It's not, not super smart, but they're just throwing verbal attacks at them. But the important thing to realize is to notice how Nehemiah reacted to this. He reacted by praying. He said, hear us, our God, for we are despised. He didn't gather together a committee that said, you know, oh boy, how are we going to handle this criticism? He didn't go take them head on and stir up even more problems. Instead, he went right to the Lord in prayer. And it's, it, was a, it starts off as a good prayer. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. And I think we'd probably like it if it got cut off right there. Uh, but he kept going. It gets a little weird, just just a FYI. So, turn their insults back on their own heads. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have been thrown insults in the face of the builders. So, Nehemiah starts off by saying, Hear us, Lord, we're despised, we're burdened, people are saying terrible things about us. And then he says to God, Throw their insults back on their own heads, and you know what? Don't forgive them their sins either. And as Christians, we kind of take a step back and like, what's going on here? Can we, can a Christian pray a prayer like this? And theologians kind of debate this point. Uh, some people say that since these are God's enemies, uh, we can pray these prayers uh, to God, asking him to wipe out our, um, the people that are trying to slow down God's work. If you've ever read the book of Psalms, there are all sorts of prayers like that in the book of Psalms, like really graphic, talking about bashing in the teeth of my enemies and praying that they were never born. And you take it and it's like, whoa, what's going on here? And I think you can make that point here, that Nehemiah is praying that same way, that these are God's enemies, they're trying to stop God's plan, so you know he's saying uh, prayers against that. But I also think you could argue that Nehemiah is a little ticked off. And that's okay. God did not make us emotionless robots. He made us people that have emotions and anger and feelings. And Nehemiah is experiencing these feelings. And what's important is that he takes those feelings to the Lord. Because when criticism comes, it's going to hurt. It's going to get you all riled up. 
But instead of yelling at it to other people, instead of gossiping, instead of uh, doing all these terrible things in your anger, instead he takes those emotions to the Lord. The Lord can handle your raw emotions. The Lord can handle your anger. And when you're in that state, when you're in that angry mindset, follow Nehemiah's example and take it to the Lord. So Nehemiah prayed, but then he got back to work. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. Nehemiah prayed to the Lord for help, and then he told the people, get back to work. And even despite all this opposition, the people continued to work with all their, all their heart, and they rebuilt the wall to half its height. The building project was half over at this point. And that leads to our big point for today. If you're taking notes, it's on the back of your bulletin. Um, how do we respond to opposition or criticism? Well, we respond with prayer and a pickaxe. Um, and by pickaxe, I don't mean to use a pickaxe to like hurt your enemies. Uh, by pickaxe, I mean a metaphor for getting back to work. So when someone criticizes you, when someone opposes you, we should respond first off with prayer, like Nehemiah did, uh, praying to the Lord, taking our emotions to the Lord, and then by getting back to work, picking up your pickaxe and getting back to work. I think this is a fairly simple point. Someone opposes you, you pray to God for help, and then you get back to work. But it gets a lot harder when you're actually in that moment. When your emotions are going, when your anger is in your heart, it's hard to do this. Isn't it hard to go to the Lord in prayer while you're in that fired-up state? It's so easy for us instead to complain to other people to try and go take them on head-on, to talk to every single other person you know about this problem except the person that's causing the problem. But instead, take it to the Lord in prayer. And it's often easy as well to not pick up the pickaxe as well. Maybe you're a teacher and you have one just out-there parent come in there and start criticizing your teaching methods, and then you think to yourself, well, fine, I guess I'm done teaching. Or maybe you have uh, someone who sings in church, and you have so many people that say great things to them. Hey, that sounded great. And you have like one person say, hey, you sounded a little bit off, a little flat. And, they, and then they think to themselves, well, fine. I guess I'm never going to sing in church again. Or your boss gets really hard on you, and you know you need this job, but uh, you, know, you don't want to deal with his opposition. So you say, fine, I guess I need to start looking for a new job. It's easy for us immediately after criticism to immediately start thinking about quitting and to stop carrying out God's work. But in those moments, go to the Lord in prayer and then pick up your pickaxe and get back to work. That's what happened for Nehemiah. Uh, he, that's what he did. He responded with prayer and pickaxe. And you know what happened? The opposition didn't go away. In fact, it actually got a lot worse. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard about the repairs to Jerusalem's wall, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So, they thought to themselves, well, I guess the verbal attacks didn't work. I guess just throwing insults at them didn't stop them. So now we need to come up with a different plan. So they gathered up all the people in the area, and they came up with a plan to kill them. And these are all names 
of real people and real places that we probably aren't that familiar with today. So I rewrote this verse for you. But when the neighbors to the north, to the south, and to the east, and to the west heard about this, these were the people that were surrounding Jerusalem. You had the governors to the east, west, north, south. They were all plotting to destroy Jerusalem right in the center of them. And wouldn't that be uh, pretty scary? Wouldn't that be a tough fear to have? Um, so this last week, or this weekend, we worked so much on, on our building project, and we had volunteers from our church come and volunteer their time and work together to uh, get started on this project. But don't you think it would be a little bit of a different mood in the room if you had a group of people say, if you keep working on this project, we're going to kill you? Yeah, it would make sense. You'd be a little scared, right, if you, if you had that type of people. But let's see how Nehemiah responded. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So you know how he responded to this problem? Well, he prayed, and then he pickaxed. They prayed to God, and then they got back to work. They weren't going to let this threat stop them. They weren't going to be tempted to give up. Instead, they took the, they took the threat seriously, they posted guards around, and then they got back to work. And as you can imagine, when you have people threatening to kill you and your families, there were still some other people out there that were still scared. There were some people out there that wanted to quit. They said, hey, we probably shouldn't do this. I don't want to die. But that's when Nehemiah gave out a rally cry. And he gave out like this great brave heart type of speech. He said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. So Nehemiah knew this fear was still with his people, so he rallied the troops. He told them, don't be afraid. Instead, remember the Lord your God. Remember what God has done for us. Remember how he was with you in the past and how he's still with us to this day. And if we're going to have a victory, it's going to come through his strength. So that's what they did. That fear went away when they knew that the Lord was on their side. And so they prayed to God. They went back to the Lord. They remembered the strength that they have in his name. And you know what they did next? Well, they pickaxed. Look at this plan that they did. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. They prayed to the Lord, and then they got back to work. They came up with this crazy strategy where every single builder was now going to carry a sword in his one hand, meaning that they would lay brick with one hand and carry a sword in the other. And I've never laid brick in my life. I don't know if that's surprising to you or not. But uh, I imagine that it would be harder to do it with one hand than two. To, to lay down the mortar and put a brick on top of it one hand at a time. It would have had to slow them all down, I'm sure. But the important thing is that they never quit. They knew that this opposition was out there. They heard the criticism. But they were determined to get the job done no matter what. So they set out guards, they gave their construction workers spears and swords and shields, they had trumpeters around them to alert them if the, the threat came, and they worked with all their heart and they continued working. And that's our story of Nehemiah today, about how there was criticism, there was opposition, and Nehemiah responded by praying to God and telling the people to pickaxe and get back to work, and they came up with this plan to keep going. That's a great story for us to learn see the determination of someone who was criticized, to see somebody who prayed to God and kept working even after criticism. 
But I need to tell you another story about someone who was criticized. I need to tell you another story about somebody who had all sorts of opposition during his life. And that man was Jesus Christ. Throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus experienced so much criticism. Let me show you a couple. Isn't this the carpenter? Before Jesus was uh, told, went out to be the plan of the Savior, Jesus had a job as a carpenter, and people knew that. And then once he started talking about how he was the God and was going to save people from their sins, they said, wait, 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 isn't that the carpenter? No way could that he be the Savior. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus was criticized for his hometown where he grew up. He must be out of his mind. You know who said this to Jesus? His family. Jesus' family accused him of being insane. Because they saw Jesus grew up, they heard that he said that he was going to be the Savior, and they said, this guy is insane. And another time, a group of people said, you are demon-possessed. They saw Jesus do a miracle, and they thought, he can't be God, he must be instead possessed by demons. Jesus experienced so much criticism during his earthly ministry. And that criticism continued to come even to the point of his death. Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? That's the reason why Jesus got put on trial, because they thought that uh, his blasphemy, him claiming to be the Son of God, they thought that that was a lie, so they wanted to put him to death for that. They said, Hail, King of the Jews. They heard that Jesus was going to be a king, so they mocked him. They said, All right, Hail, King of the Jews, as they beat him up. As they hit him, they said, Prophesy, who hit you? You're a great prophet. Well, how about you prophesy this? Prophesy, tell us, who hit you? He saved others, but he can't save himself. They said this to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. They said, Hey, you think you're a good savior? Well, you can't even save yourself. And that's important to remember through Jesus. And do you know how Jesus responded to this criticism that he faced in his life and on the cross? He responded with prayer and a pickaxe. When Jesus was on the cross and was criticized, you know what he prayed? Father, forgive them. Jesus experienced so much criticism, and in that moment, he didn't respond with hate. Instead, he responded with forgiveness. And you know what Jesus did after that? He got back to work. He could have got down from the cross if he wanted to. He could have used his godly power, but he never did. Throughout his ministry, so many people said terrible things to him, but he never quit. He never stopped. He kept going one day at a time, and he got back to work of saving the people from their sins. And he did all that He did all that so he could forgive you and me for all the times where we've responded in a poor way to criticism. He forgives us for the time where we don't turn to God in prayer. Instead, we unleash our anger out on someone else. He gives us forgiveness for all the times where we've been in despair and threatened to quit and stop doing God's work. He forgives us for all that because he lived that perfect life and he died for all of our sins on the cross. And that leads to our second point for the day. The only voice that matters is what God says about you. If we can learn anything from Aristotle, if we can learn anything from Snoop Dogg, we know that criticism is real. And if it's happened to you already, it's going to happen to you again. 
So how are we going to handle this criticism? How are we going to handle when people say negative and cruel things to you? Well, in that moment, we need to remember that the only voice that matters is what God says about you. Because God calls you his child, and no one can take that away from you. God says that you are dearly loved, and no one can change that. God says that you have hope of eternal life in heaven. So no matter how terrible things you face in this life, no matter what the people say about you, no one can take that hope away from you. So in those moments, when you're facing those temptations, when you're facing that criticism, remember what God has to say about you, because his voice is the only voice that matters. Many professional athletes experience criticism all the time. Um, And this surely was the case for Kobe Bryant. Uh, Throughout his career, he was known as one of the best basketball players who ever lived. But towards the last couple years of his career, um, he was getting a lot of criticism. He wasn't as good as he used to be. So sportscasters, they analyze this all the time. They're like, oh, he's dropping off. Why isn't he playing so well anymore? And one time, Kobe Bryant was at a basketball game, and some fans started heckling him. And I'd like to show you how he responded. He went, one, two, three, four, five. You know what that means? Those were the five NBA championship rings that he won. He pointed people to the only thing that mattered as a basketball player of how many championships you've won. He pointed out five of them. So everything else that you say about him doesn't matter. And I understand that none of us here have any NBA championship rings. But as Christians... I want you to point to the one thing that matters. When you face criticism, when you face opposition, point to the one thing that matters. Point to your baptism. Point to the place where Jesus made you his child. Point to the cross. Point to the place where Jesus forgave you of all of your sins. And point to heaven. Point to the place where you will live eternally. So in those moments, when people say terrible things to you, In those moments when you think about that criticism, you don't need to let it ruin your day. You don't need to let it ruin your next month. You don't need to change your career. You can keep going. You can respond with prayer and pickaxe because we have a God in heaven who says wonderful things about us and is promising a hope of eternal life. We do this all in his name. Amen. Please stand.